I'm Josh Bond. This is Angie Meadows, and this is the Rocker Recovery, and we're working through the detachment book. Today is principle number 10. Detachment means to allow myself to learn from my mistakes. Ouch. If I don't learn from my mistakes, what happens, Josh? I, I keep on making the same ones. I do. Get worse. <laughs> three, every three weeks, I'm like, now this looks familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're making the same mistakes over and over and again in every relationship, in every scenario, in every a little self-pity cycle you drop into every three weeks, there's work you need to be doing. Yes. You need to learn from this. So introduction. This does not mean I will brood, beat myself up, or turn to destructive behaviors. It is an honest evaluation of my actions and their outcomes. Then I can pursue a plan to make my future look different from my past. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and he saves such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalms thirty four eighteen. So what does brokenness look like? Number one. Brokenness over past mistakes is not wailing or wallowing in despair. It is not brooding or beating myself up. It is not self-destructive behaviors. Mm, brokenness is a is a death of my expectations. I think it's radical acceptance of what I cannot change. Now, sometimes you go into a situation and you're you've got a lot of hope that this situation is going to change. And six months, two years, four years, you're like. I am in the same exact spot. <laughs> I either need to radically accept that this is the way it is, or I need to disentangle myself and move on. Yeah. So number four. A coming to an end of myself and releasing all my wishes and mm-hmm. desires, then detaching from what I cannot, cannot control. control. Yes, that's radical acceptance. Number five. It is an acceptance of the inability to change others. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And that's Luke twenty two forty two. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it was before his crucifixion. And he was grieving. I mean, grieving to great drops of blood from his brow with the grief of so much suffering of what he was going to go through. And he said, this is not what I want to do. But if this cup cannot move from me, then thy will be done and not mine. And so, Josh, sometimes it's hard for me just to release it to the Lord and release my hand from the outcomes. And I've heard the Lord say a few times to me recently, um, release to me the outcomes. Do your best. Yep, you screwed up. Yep, you did wrong. Uh, Take your hands off the outcome. And as I take my hands off the outcome, now he can teach me. So here, we're going to learn some boundaries. Number one. Nothing is free. Charge recovering adults for food, bedroom, space, basement, space, utilities, child care, etc. Expect them to help financially. Yes, you may save the money that you charge them for a down payment on rent or a car if progressive recovery is viable. But if they don't have some sort of fiscal responsibility and they could always come and use somebody else, then they got a back door. They're learning to trust you and not God. They're learning to say, oh, I don't have to do the work. Mom will do it. (laughs) Number three. All assistance is based upon recovery. Yeah, but if they're not in that active recovery, yeah, back off. Number four. Stealing is not tolerated. Absolutely not. Number five. Drug or alcohol use of any kind is not tolerated. You've got to have your boundaries. you got to stay in my home. 
These no. are the rules. No. So house rules need to be established and followed. And that's what that reconciliation book does. It helps us establish the house rules, the chore organization, um, the financial responsibilities, the plan to unentangle from them. Uh, number seven. Young adults with serious substance use issues are not allowed to stay in your home to learn to become functional substance users. Yes. So once they come to your home, they still have to be accountable. They still have to pass drug screens. They still have to have um, a third party accountability or you're just going to be sitting there making excuses wanting so bad for them to succeed that you're going to be enabling that. So if you're a recovering addict and you're living with another recovering addict, this is for both of you. One of you may be the enabler, the other one may be more of the controller, and there has to be active recovery on both parts. Yeah. Otherwise, one follows the other. You get so codependent upon each other. So number eight. Kindness and respect is a boundary not to be crossed. Yep. Whining and belly aching is not tolerated. <laughs> okay, so what's a functional addict look like? Individuals with functional addictions can function in society while denying there is a problem. Save yourself a lot of suffering and let them function somewhere else. <laughs> That's real. Let them function somewhere else. Number two. A well-structured sober living house on a bus route may be a good option. Yes. Now, what does severe addiction look like? That's functional addiction where they can drink in the evenings, get up and go to work in the morning. Uh, they can drink all weekend, get up and go to work on Monday. You know, that's what a functional addict looks like. So let's see what a severe addict looks like. Severe addictions may end up make individuals dysfunctional they push through every boundary if you give them an inch they take a mile oh yeah <laughs> they play the charmer and take every advantage to manipulate coerce or dominate with a smile anyone who tells them no or attempts to protect someone from their manipulation is immediately attacked and made into a villain the person with severe addiction is a master at playing the victim he can also become suicidal, homicidal, or violent at any time. You cannot help the, this person if they will not take personal responsibility for their actions. They need accountability and more boundaries than a loved one could ever give them. If they are out of control and overdosing, they will need confinement through legal means they cannot manipulate. Ouch. What do you think? That's facts. <laughs> and, and you know that's that's grace. That's goodness. That's not that's not being rough. That's no. not being mean. That's saving their life. Yeah. Especially with that junk that's out there now. Yeah. I mean, I can look back at a several we've lost this just this month. That man, if they had had legal confinement, they would have had motivations to do something different. And we lost them. Yeah. And uh, you know, I said it. I told my brother this. It's funny that it were, I'm going through this right now. I had to tell my brother last night that, man, I hope the cuffs find you before a grave does. Yeah. You know what I mean? And sometimes don't bail them out. I know. I mean, go before the judge and say, here's a nine-month program. Yeah. Can they go here with accountability, maybe even with an ankle bracelet, yeah. instead of jail? Yeah. Because then they've got nine months of skills that they're learning. Um, but you can't you can't get them out of that with no accountability because then they just learned that oh I can do it anything and grandma's gonna pay pay it yeah. off yeah so enablers need to detach and get out of the way. One person with substance use disorder, you may be able to help. Another one, no one can help. They must yes. want the recovery enough to fight for it. Oh yes, and and that fight is real. Yes, many recovering 
from addiction have too much anxiety to function in society and maintain sobriety. Find a long-term rehabilitation center that has a program to reintegrate them back into society. Employment at a rehabilitation facility as a cook or groundskeeper may give them stability. It will consistently remind them of the suffering of life consequences of addiction as they see it played out in the lives of others. Another viable option would be a sober living home with accountability sponsorships and group meetings. Yes, because they, they, they keep track of them. They keep track of them. They've got a curfew. They've got chores. They've got, they've got to toe the line. So let's just read down this line of functional addiction. If a person's in functional addiction in school, they may be struggling. Uh, they may need trade school or apprenticeships. They may need uh, short-term goals and rehabilitation. Um, but you're going to see them denying the problem, avoiding the issues. But with someone in severe addiction with school, they're dropping out, they're irresponsible, they're undisciplined, they can't get their work in, they need full-on rehabilitation. Yeah. They, they, they will leave a rehab center, they'll return, they'll leave again and yeah. again and again. And so you got to know what you're dealing with, Josh. If yeah. I'm dealing with a functional addict, he's already – feeling the heat you yeah. know he's wasting his money he's spinning his wheels his relationships are breaking down and i'm saying he but it could be she or you know any yeah. pronoun you want to use but if i'm working at severe addiction they don't have any control over themselves right. they say i'm not doing that again and they get out there and they are powerless yes to change so i no matter how much help i get them they cannot change so let's look at the employment for somebody with functional addiction versus um severe addiction Employment calls off work often, health issues, struggles with relationships, struggles to submit to authority. Okay, now that's a functional addict. Now, what does a severe addict look like? Employment, quit, fired, blames others, (laughs) complains, won't submit to authority. Yep, they're not going to keep a job, no matter how pretty you made them look today. (laughs) So in relationships, what's it look like to be a functional addict in relationship? Uh, Mostly verbal abuse, sometimes extreme ranting, intoxicated or high when not at work, Hmm. divorced or unstable relationships, trouble managing finances. What's it look like if they're a severe addict? Violent, abusive raging, easily provoked, abandons responsibilities, domestic violence, child abuse or neglect, entitled behaviors. So, yeah, if you've got the severe addiction, you just got to get out of the way that they've got to fall. And they've got to have the full uh, brunt of the consequences of their behavior. So what's it look like in the courts for somebody with functional addiction? Pays on fines. Learns learns temporarily from consequences. Okay, he's going to learn. It may be temporary, but he's going to learn. Now, what's it look like with severe? House arrest, imprisonment, probation, forced counseling, forced rehabilitation, sober living home. Okay, so sometimes you need probation officers. You need the court. You need a higher power to come in and give them a year to sit. Yeah, and move slow. <laughs> and move Learn slow. Learn and move slow. Yes. And what I have found with uh, some of these darling kids that I work with is that when they're off probation, it takes them about a week before they relapse. Yeah, that's a fact. And uh, 
it's a good six months for they can turn it around if they can turn it around. And our one buddy didn't, and yeah. he he went he passed drug screens on Thursday and died on Tuesday. Yeah. So the more accountability you can set up with a severe addict, um, or even a functional addict, uh, yeah. one that's going to work and thinking he's okay, the better it is. Just get out of the way and let authorities hold him accountable. Okay, so what does the character look like with functional addiction? Insecure, poor coping skills, a good heart. Pretty good. I want to do good. I just don't know how. But with a person who's in severe addiction, lies, cheats, steals, deceptive, manipulative, selfish. Yeah, totally different. Yes. There's no I want to do better. There's you owe me. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yes. And there's a lot of internal suffering and 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 uh, developmental emotional steps that they missed in life that they've got to go back and rebuild, and that takes time. So, what kind of boundaries do I need with a person in functional addiction? Move in and out of this relationship. Let them know calls will be blocked for one week if they call intoxicated. Let them know they will not be invited to family functions for one year if they show up intoxicated. Mm, yeah. Give them back their problem. Set boundaries with obsessive ranting, hanging up, or walk away. Encourage counseling, support groups, sponsors. Yeah, encourage that in and out real quick, um, giving them back their problems. But a person with a severe addictions, boundaries usually won't work. They yeah. won't be respected. They'll be manipulated. Most likely, distance will be needed until progressive recovery is pursued. This person will only seek recovery when forced to do so. Turn them over to the court authorities. Do not enable destructive behaviors. Be careful to not confront them alone. Understand that this is an unsafe relationship. Ouch. (laughs) Got any thoughts? (laughs) Uh, Just be careful not to confront them alone. Understand this is an unsafe relationship. That's a fact. They're they're not safe for themselves. They're not safe for themselves. They're not Mm -hmm. them. It's not their person. It's not them talking. It's drugs. Yes. Yes, it's it's drugs. That's a chemical walking. That's all that is. Yeah, and so... uh, you know, we we had a buddy die recently that cut a lot of people out of his life that last week. Yeah. And the only thing that I can say to them is that was not him. Yeah. That was the alcohol talking. That yeah. was not him. So what are the outcomes, the possible outcomes for functional addiction? Depends upon loved ones developing healthy, strong boundaries. Depends upon healthy confrontation and accountability. Okay. But the outcomes for a severe addiction would be unstable, unpredictable. Chaos, confusion, life-threatening overdoses, health issues, and homelessness. And these are their choices. Uh, and, you know, I, I say that with hesitation, Josh, because they, they're they really powerless oh, at this point. Oh, they definitely are. So, you know, people can say, oh, that's their choice. But it's not. No. It literally has to be something where it's interrupted, they're confined, and they are forced Yes. Uh, to get sober. So then they can make a, a, a rational choice. Yeah. But when they're not sober, they can't make a reasonable choice. You're right. Yeah, they so cannot. Forced sobriety sometimes is the way that it has to happen. And, you know, sometimes I would pray and I would say, okay, God, I'd, I'd turn him over to you. And within days he'd be arrested and I'd be like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Now he can sober up for 30 days. And, you know, if I could just get Grandma not to get him out, he'd sober up for 30 days. <laughs> That's real. Yeah, so what's my response to somebody with functional addiction? Forgive quickly. Yes, forgive them often. Refuse to be in a relationship with them if they are under the influence. Mm-hmm. Refuse exaggerated immature emotions. Frequently reach out to them. Send notes and cards of encouragement. Yes, but now if I have 
a severe addict, I need to protect the elderly and the children. I need to change my focus off of them and onto the people around me that are going to be hurt. I need to distance and detach. I need to allow them to have their own choices and their own consequences. I need to grieve some more and detach some more. I need to hope for the best, but I need to leave the future in the hands of God. Detaching from a toxic person is your recovery goal. It is maturing and healing and trusting others to find their own way in life. It is vital for the safety of the elderly, abused, and innocent children. Hmm. Total abandonment of a loved one with substance use disorder is devastating. This is never optimal. Only you can discern if the substance use patterns of abuse, neglect of duty, abandonment of responsibility, chronically blaming others, and refusal to refusal of personal responsibility is toxic. Yeah, and so sometimes things like this is too toxic for me, and if I would see them, I'm stuck in my head for three yeah. days trying to figure out how to fix it. And so it's just too toxic. I I just have to back up. But, you know, if you've done a lot of detachment work, you can move in, give them a meal, um, you know, give them a phone number and then move back out and be okay. You're going to have an hour or two of struggling, but it's not going to be it's not going to be obsessive for you. So the principle here was learning from my mistakes. Detachment means to allow myself to learn from my mistakes. And so as uh, those in recovery, recovery from enabling, recovery from addiction. We're going to make a lot of mistakes. We're going to test the waters here and there, see what we, what, what needs to be done. We're going to make those mistakes. But what I want you to do is start uh, understanding what the patterns were that brought you to that. So bring us to the conclusion, Josh. If, you, if our loved one with a substance use disorder becomes aggressive, defensive, or violent when confronted, they are not safe. They will leave. They leave you no choice. If they are going to drown you, self-preservation must be a priority. Enablers would die for their loved ones if it could, if it would help. Where does it stop? So, you know, Paul says in, in the New Testament, he said, I would gouge my eyes out. I'd cut my arm off. But it ain't going to help. Yep. <laughs> it ain't going to help. <laughs> and so I asked an enabler one time when she was going to stop, and she said, when I'm six feet under. Hmm. Well, she almost killed her loved one, (laughs) just making chronic, chronic excuses for them. So just know that if you are like that, if you are that diehard, he's going to straighten up and I'm going to help him and I'm going to keep paying those bills, you're not helping. No, you're right. Yeah, you're not helping. Keep going. Even if we give them everything, the chaos won't stop. An active substance user is no longer in control of their decisions. When they are driven by addictions, they are. They have allowed themselves to be devoured and become a devourer. This bear is not tameable by an enabler. No matter how much of ourselves we sacrifice, grieve, grow, detach, and allow ourselves to heal. Mm, so I want the focus to shift to my healing. Yes. Because if my focus is on their healing, I'm lost. I'm, I'm lost. I literally am looking to them and their being straightened up, fixed up, healed for me to be safe or good, and that's wrong. I have to find my healing, my growth, my recovery, and show them the way that I can be strong, and then they can follow. Yeah. If you are in recovery making excuses for your loved one in the madness, you will relapse long before they find sobriety. Get yeah. out of the way. Yeah. So here's the prayer, Josh. Father, help me, Lord, to learn my lessons well. Teach me to empower myself with healthy boundaries and healthy anger to stop the emotional abuse. Help me to realize that you are the only one who can change another person's heart. Lord, I release my life and place my future in your hands. 
Lead me in the path you have for me. Give me a vision for a future and freedom. If I speak, let it be with kindness. Give me space and time to heal. Help me to find your perfect will for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So sometimes, Josh, I need to stop being a victim. I need to put up my boundaries. I need to have some healthy anger so that I can defend myself. But I don't ever have to be unkind. No. In Proverbs 31, it says, And she opens her mouth with kindness. The law of her tongue is kindness. Kind, patient, but very firm. And this was Angie. And this is Josh Bond. And this was The Rocker Recovery. We're happy you were here. If you want to hear these again, we're on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Pandora. And we'll see you next time. We love you.